0: So tonight's talk, I'm going to be focusing on one of my favorite suttas and talking about its implications. This is the Salatha, which in our language is the two arrows. <coughs> it's one of the most famous teachings of the Buddha in which he employs a, a, an analogy of um, someone who is shot with an arrow. And... Um, Well, I'll read it to you, rather than explain the analogy. So here's the sutta itself, the Buddha speaking. When the uninstructed person feels pain, they take it personally, fixating on it, becoming distraught, obsessed by escaping from the feelings. So they experience two kinds of suffering. The first is the discomfort in the body. But the second is the mental agitation. All the spinning thoughts about why me, how can I stop this, this is unfair, etc. It's as if an individual was shot with an arrow and then subsequently shot themselves with a second one. And so one experiences the pain of two arrows, not one. And then I'll go on in a little while to talk about how he addresses this. This theme is rampant throughout all of the Dharma. In the perhaps the most central teaching, the Paticca Samuppada, the Buddha says in life when we have what's called dukkha, really painful emotional events in life happen. The first thing that happens is that there are fast, emotional gut feelings which some of us you know might call anything from feelings to intuition to just the emotional Mm. body the stomach gets tight the chest feels hollow a lump in the throat the face we have a physiological response which arises and we're so uncomfortable that that creates the craving to get rid of the feeling in the body and from that, we <coughs> cling to certain things that provide distractions, so that we don't have to feel the emotional pain we're in. So when we feel loneliness or sadness or anger or fear or disappointments, that feeling, which is prime, those feelings are which are primarily down here in the body. Uh, the way we deal with it is rather than learning how to hold and feel and be with, we instead seek out something, anything that will make it go away. And so the Buddha in these teachings says that there are four different kinds of um, ways we try to escape, things we cling to in life as a way to not feel our emotional pain. They're called Upadanas, which means things we cling to. And I'll list them. The first is Kama Upadana, which is sensual pleasures. It's not news to you that when we're upset, angry, lonely, disappointed, that many of us uh, seek out drugs, alcohol, Some are addicted to Netflix, Amazon. We seek approval through Facebook. I'm always amazed by the people I counsel who are addicted to porn. Some report that they can spend hours a day looking at it so that they don't feel their emotional wounds. So these behaviors alleviate very quickly, underlying painful emotional states. Binge eating, for example, alleviates feelings of loneliness. When we eat, we feel that someone's taking care of us. And so the loneliness that is so powerful that creates that horrible feeling of heaviness and emptiness in the chest and feelings of abandonment is alleviated by the eating, which creates the sense that there's somebody there taking care of me. So the key with Kama Upadana or sensory pleasures is that they tend to completely get rid of, override emotional pain. In neuropsychology, they are indicative of the release of dopamine, which provides very short-lived but substantial <coughs> feelings of power, completeness, pleasure, control and life. So we tend to go to these, especially when we are deeply hit. A second group of things we cling to are c which is our numbing routines. People in times of distress, depression, etc. will often work excessively, clean, rely heavily on exercise, or even a kind of numbing spiritual practice, where rather than using their practice to connect with emotions, they just sit there and chant or use the breath as a way to escape their feelings. It's not unusual, I work um, in a, I teach at a hospice training organization, and it's not unusual when people receive really um, overwhelmingly negative, diagnosis that they'll return to work because being with that uh, ex- that that information and the way it feels in the body is so painful that many people just go back to the numbing routines of their lives as a way to escape feeling the pain and overwhelm and uh, same when people traumatically lose loved ones some some people will just go back to work as if Seemingly nothing had happened. Um, very often, people have body obsession as a way to defend themselves against rejections in the life. I've counseled many people who um, are obsessed with the way they appear um, and exercise excessively it, because there's it's a way to feel protected against being abandoned or rejected. if they have the perfect body or if they worry about their body, the belief is that that's the reason abandonments have happened to them, and it softens the blow. Uh, meditation, as I said, can be a spiritual bypass. A third category besides sensual pleasures, uh, pleasures and short-term um, sensual pleasures and numbing routines, is Didi Padana, which is just latching on to views and opinions about the way the world should be. It's not unusual that after people lose loved ones or when bad events happen in life, rather than being able to be with the grief and despair, many people launch themselves on uh, tirades about the way the world should be. And while many of those tirades are absolutely true, the world is a deeply unjust, unfair place. The world is a travesty, especially uh, consumer-based society, such as which we live in. But if we use those beliefs and opinions to the extent that we're not feeling the emotional body, then we'll never process the grief that needs, or the feelings that need to be experienced. Now, perhaps the most prevalent addiction that we have is not the drugs, or the alcohol, or the shopping, or the food, or the exercise, or the work, or even the views and opinions about the world, but what the Buddha called Atava Upadana, which is the addictive tendency that when bad things or painful emotional experiences occur to become fixated in what it means about me to build it into a story of identity and uh we see this in so many points of our lives when we're disappointed when we go through a breakup of a relationship and the immediate story that pops up helpfully in the mind is, well, I guess I was never meant to be in a a loving partnership. When uh, we uh, feel experiences of shame, many people through compensatory practices will develop stories of being a victim. I've been mistreated, that's why I ruin so many friendships through uh, failing to connect or be compassionate. Some of us believe that we hold completely unlovable impulses that if anybody else could see, they would um, despise us or be horrified. And so that arises as a way to avoid difficult conflictual conversations in our life, to avoid um, situations that create feelings of unease. Many of us, of course, have feelings of grandiosity and being an unrecognized genius as a a compensation to the feelings of not uh, getting our needs met in the world or in relationships. So the self story The story about who we are, why we're different, why, how, we, how we relate to other people, is extremely addictive. In fact, the work of Gilbert and Killingworth Gilbert <laughs> and Killingsworth at Harvard uh, in their landmark study, showed that the default mode network of the brain, which hosts self-centered thinking, which is your ventral prefrontal cortex is by far and away the most used circuits. We're in it half of our lives often. And it's also the circuits that are most associated with stress because not only do they involve the frontal lobe, but when we think about ourselves, even though it distracts from painful feelings, it activates stress. If you want to create stress in your life very quickly, think a lot about yourself, that will what other people think about you, what's going to happen to you in the future and you'll find pretty soon that the old cortisol will be released and you'll start to have those shoulders tense up the jaw will lock, the brows will furrow. Interestingly enough when Lieberman and his group uh, did a review a meta-analysis of all the different clinical studies of what part of the brain people use when they think about themselves they found that it was the i said the ventral the medial prefrontal cortex which is also the region we only we only really other use this re- region when we worry about what other people think about us so when we listen to other people talking about us that thing lights up and also when we think about ourselves so this the theory goes that self fixated ideation is actually an attempt to figure out how we can best socialize in the world by, get this, figuring out all the things that make us different so that we can then set about repressing the parts of ourselves that we believe other people won't like. So when people get caught up in self-obsessive, why me, why is this happening, what will happen to me in the future, etc., the underpinning is, goes back to our tribal ancestors. Human beings are, are pack animals. Our key survival skills are in connection. And the brain, which is always wired for survival in every species, in our species, the brain thought it would be helpful to wire circuits that would make it very easy for us to think about all the things about us other people wouldn't like so that we could spend a lot of time trying to conceal them to gain tribal admittance. Well, it just so happens that this addictive circuit actually causes a lot of misery. So, it's interesting, the Buddha here answers essentially some very important questions about what addiction is. For a long time, people and the addiction industry proposed that addictions are anything, any behavior that when you give up the behavior, cause distress. Well, this is a very poor definition, to say the least, because many, many healthy behaviors that are absolutely necessary to human well-being would suck if you gave them up. For instance, if you give up eating healthy food or connecting with your friends, or um, doing any, in fact, self-care ritual that's to your benefit, you will suffer distress as well. So it's not the fact that certain things cause suffering when we give them up that make them addictions. A contemporary approach to what addiction is has uh, been uh, proposed by Philip Flores and Kohut, and those. that's the idea that An addiction is anything that replaces other people in our lives. Human beings need to co-regulate to deal with their emotions. That's why we have emotions, which is to connect with other people. Emotions are not just impulses to survive, they are also essentially communicative acts that bond us with each other. And so if we experience early life abandonments or wounds, we stop trusting other people and we start looking for addictions as a way to replace other people to regulate our emotions. They work for a little while, but they don't work for very long. We need to take more and more and more as we habituate to the substances that we rely upon to regulate the emotions. The Buddha proposes something similar, that in the absence of core, Uh, Reliable friendships, which he calls Kalyanamita. Human beings, when they feel emotional pain, run to things to cling to as a way to avoid feeling emotional pain. And these things become increasingly addictive until they become self-reinforcing processes. To alleviate the shame of alcoholic behavior, the alcoholic drinks. To alleviate the despair of gaining weight, very often people will eat. To alleviate the workaholism, the loneliness of workaholism, people will work more to try to make more money in the belief that that will somehow address the loneliness. Likewise, with self-fixation, it creates a vulnerable sense of uniqueness. I'm different from others. And when we feel that way, guess what? We alleviate that pain by thinking more about ourselves. So each addiction, which starts out as a way to protect us or shield us from emotional pain, eventually becomes a cycle where it, the behavior itself, creates more pain that it has to shield us from. And so addictions start out as a shield from pain, but soon they turn into the very shackles that cut us off from connecting with other people for emotional co-regulation. As we cling to these, the Buddha said, as we cling to anything, eventually we believe it constitutes our core self, or identity, and then we can't even visualize ourselves living without it. Many people I've seen over 22 years of sobriety come into 12-step groups utterly believing that it's impossible for them to live without alcohol or drugs. They just cannot visualize it, they can't conceive it, because not because only the the emotional relief it brings them, or brought them at one time in their life, but also because they've established that it lies at the very core of what they believe their identity to believe, to be. When we when we confuse ourselves with our addictive, repetitive behaviors, we lock ourselves into them. So much of the Buddha's work is undermining these identity beliefs through meditative practices. I'm going to continue as we close with the, um, how the Buddha ended the Salatha Sutta, after he talked about how normal people, when they have emotional pain, they take it personally, they fixate, they become distraught and obsessed, and so they feel two pains. And then he contrasts them with someone who is well-practiced in uh, the Dharma. and He says, the well-instructed person when beset by emotional feelings in the body, does not obsess, does not join with it, does not try to escape it, nor do they become fixated on it. This practitioner only feels that one pain, the embodied pain, but none of the mental reactions. It's as if they were only shot by one arrow, but didn't shoot the second one into themselves. So the Buddha is essentially suggesting that if we can learn to hold, be with, create a safe container for emotional pain, then we will find that our life is instantly almost uh, alleviated of so much of the agitation, stress, obsession, anxiety, uh, that... Uh, it contains. So, there's two basic groups uh, or approaches that we can use to be with times of emotional pain. When we feel disappointed with relationships, when we feel not seen in families, when we feel not seen by co-workers, not taken care of by roommates or at least not respected by them. Uh, All of the emotional pains that can feel overwhelming, especially when they activate past emotional wounds, can feel very, very powerful. And it's so easy to say, well, start by not thinking about yourself, to start by feeling the feelings, but how do we do that? So in tonight's meditation, I'm going to go into the, medit- the uh, contemplative practices, which boil down to some concentration tools and some insight tools, and we'll practice those. But a second set of tools before I leave the meditation are, I should mention, are known as self-soothing. Now, As opposed to the addictions that the Buddha noted, the short-term sensual pleasures of shopping and drink and binging on food and Netflix and all the others, the addictive tendency to go back to mind-numbing routines or to think obsessively as a way to escape feelings, the Buddhas and so many contemporary psychologists recommend self-soothing. <clears throat> behaviors. The difference between self-numbing and self-soothing is a self-numbing behavior is an escape to the point where you don't feel anything that's actually occurring in the body. The heaviness, the lump in the throat, the hollow chest of loneliness, the, the tight shoulders of, of, of overwhelm and stress are not in awareness. We've essentially completely displaced awareness. Self-soothing is another thing entirely. They're behaviors that allow us to create gentle feelings that are not overwhelming so that we can be with the pain, but it softens the pain. I'll give you an example. Somebody I uh, know very well who had a traumatic loss in his life told me, of his uh, healing practice, he couldn't grieve while he was at home in his room because when we're in our rooms, it feels like we're just in our brains. There's not very many sensations we're taking in, so the pain can be overwhelming and it can be hard to in any way uh, escape. When he lost his uh, partner, he would go to the beach. I think specifically the Rockaways, and he'd lie in the sand and take in the sound of the ocean and feel the sun as it hit his body in the sand beneath him, and just that, those sensory um, richness was enough to cushion it so that he could wail and cry and grieve and be with the process that is grieving. So um, that's an example. Instead of numbing it through drinking or through just escapism, he actually found a place where he could soothe himself enough to be with the emotional experience. And processing emotions is essential if we want to go through life and stay connected with others and not wind up with severe Uh, emotional dysregulation other self-soothing techniques are yoga yoga is not a cardio it doesn't release release endorphins if you do release endorphins and it's cardio you're doing yoga wrong (laughs) yoga should be a, a process that brings people into the body and allows them to without any judgment feel into and be with and stretch, but not in any way create the sort of endorphins that remove awareness. Um, natural settings going into any, uh, obviously few and far between in New York, but uh, any natural settings has been shown to activate the right hemisphere. The right hemisphere is the embodied hemisphere of the brain. If you were diminishing reliance on the left, which is the part, the verbal part of the brain that fixates on the future and on self and you focus on activities that activate the right hemisphere, you will feel and connect with your emotions and one of the fastest routes to that is what the Buddha called, uh, I think, uh, I can't remember, Damietat. yeah, Damietat, the being with nature. Uh, Mindful walking, walking that's without any destination, not trying to get anywhere, not rushing, being in the body, feeling the movement, being in the city but still feeling one's feelings. Task positive behaviors such as gardening, drawing, listening to music that is contemplative, some people like tea ceremonies. There's an ongoing list, if you look it up, of self-soothing, and they're different than self-numbing. And I believe that all adults should have a wide vocabulary of self-soothing behaviors, because in life, there won't be a shortage of times when you need to be able to hold and work with and be with times that are difficult. So now we're going to do the meditation. The meditation is going to focus on concentration techniques that allow us to be with uh, emotional pain. It's also going to use Atami Yata, which is a practice that allows us to create a safe container by expanding the mind in a way that it can hold painful feelings. Starting off by finding a comfortable seated position, and if at any point during the meditation you feel like you have to uh, reposition yourself, that's absolutely okay. Don't feel that you have to stay rock still, but the request (laughs) is that you bear in mind the proximity of others, and so before you need to move, just reflect on how you can reposition the body without creating sound that will distract those that are seated nearby a good balance simply means to keep your head from slouching in front of your shoulders or chest Let's see if you can just keep that alignment where your head is in line with the shoulders, the shoulders in line with the hips. That should pretty much be enough effort to put in to not only keep the body uh, from developing too much strain, but also it helps in reconnecting with embodied somatic experience. If your eyes aren't closed, look at the ground in front of them, in front of you. So let's start, as always, with a practice that will offer some unison at the beginning. So, if you'd like, We could all take a nice full in-breath through the nose and if you'd like, lift your shoulders up like you're trying to touch your ears, don't cause any stress, just hold them up wherever it's comfortable, keep them up for an extended length and then as you breathe out through the mouth, dropping the shoulders and pulling them back however comfortable you feel it in a way Mm -hmm. that... Opens up your chest to receive future breaths and then the second in-breath through the nose tuck in the belly Really taut so that the abdomen is Tight and then as we breathe out through the mouth softening the belly And For the third in-breath through the nose, squinching the toes, buttocks, fists, and the muscles of the face where we convey so much emotion. Just squinch it tight, tight, locking the jaw, squinching the eyes, and then breathe out and really soften the muscles, unclench the jaw. Encourage the eyes behind the eyelids to settle so that they're not bouncing about Reminding them that there's nothing to keep track of. We're in a safe place with Safe individuals, so there's no predators around And We'll take a few moments to be with the present moment if it's helpful you can employ a breath counting strategy to stay present which is simply finding the breath anywhere you like in your body the sensations of the breath i tend to use the chest some people use the tip of the nose the buddha didn't actually indicate any preferable place he simply said bringing awareness to the breath so find the breath where you like and just if you like also count or think one as you breathe in think two as you breathe out three as you breathe in four as you breathe out and upon reaching five we start counting back down so four on the out in essence counting from one to five and back down Another strategy is simply to feel and be aware of all the contact sensations in the present moment. Feeling the sensations of sitting, the clothes in the body, the sounds, awareness of the sounds arriving into consciousness without visualizing what creates them. Even the lights flickering behind closed eyelids. It's very natural for the mind to wander off with thoughts that arise in the background. It's important in your practice to never judge or criticize yourself. The entire foundation is based on compassion and appreciation unconditional appreciation of our effort. So if your mind is busy and wanders off a thousand times, bring it back a thousand times. If your mind is heavy and tired and you feel yourself beginning to fade out of awareness you can always open one eye or hold your breath on the in-breath slightly, but again always with a spirit of compassion and patience. put aside the breath or other sensations and just see if you can bring to mind an experience that activated a lot of reactive thought, disappointment, a lot of the mind trying to figure out, solve get rid of, sometimes we know an event has been emotionally triggering by the reactive tendencies in the mind, the agitation that follows, or if you can just bring to mind a relational, interpersonal event that involved either a conflict or a great feeling Disappointment. I'd like to encourage not to bring up anything that raises to the level of the traumatic. So, see if you can figure or bring to mind something that was unpleasant, but not something that will needlessly at this point reactivate a lot of wounds. So just hold the image rather than the story, the most salient, emotionally resonant image to create. The goal is a feeling in the body, anger, sadness, fear, loneliness, confusion. If you can even feel the slightest Steering of tightness in the belly, contraction in the shoulders, hollowness in the chest, lump in the throat, furrowing of the forehead. There might also be a nonverbal mental component. Buddha called cheetah, your mind might start to feel very agitated or heavy and tired. And it's all okay. So the first tool we're going to learn is how to be with any emotional discomfort in the body by first breathing through it. Breathing through it is not trying to get rid of emotional pain but just soothing it. So for instance, suppose you felt tightness in the abdomen associated with fear. You would find an area directly above the tightness and on the in breath, breathe down through it. And on the up breath, the out breath, breathe, move through it. Move the breath energy through it. You can do vice versa breathing in, moving up through it. Breathing out, moving down. Whatever feels more natural. Just be with the sensations of emotional. Life and see if you can bring the breath into the sensations to slightly soften. Another technique to be with emotional activations is to find an area in the body that is not particularly expressive of the pain. For many people that could be the palms of the hand, they tend to be pretty relaxed. And so spend two in-breaths and out-breaths being with The experience of stillness in the palm. And then move your attention over to the area that feels clenched and tight. Moving into finding the center, if possible, of the tightness in the belly, or shoulders, or jaw. And then back to the area of refuge in the body, the, palm, the palms of the hand that feel soft and relaxed. Moving back and forward between that which expresses sadness and that which simply expresses peace. strategy we'll practice with is while there's any feeling of discomfort in the body, keeping it in awareness, but let's practice also adding additional awareness, not as a way to shove away the pain but to be with, to soften and cushion it. So if there's tightness in your belly, or shoulders, or throat, or chest, hear as well the sounds of the fan, hold that in awareness as well. Adding in awareness of the contact sensation with cushion. Become aware of any lights flickering behind closed eyes. And lastly, adding a very soft, simple phrase of welcome to our emotional, somatic life. A simple phrase in the mind, I love you. You're welcome. You're allowed here. All of my experience is allowed. You're welcome. I care about you. nothing is abandoned or rejected. Finally, just bring to mind an image of yourself and we'll conclude with the basic phrases of metta practice in the mind reciting, may I know true peace, happiness, freedom from stress, may all beings know true peace, happiness, freedom from stress and suffering. So whenever you're ready, slowly Look up at the ground in front of you, not around the room, for a moment. Just take in the light and color. And see if you can maintain awareness of the body while you're also taking in the light and sight that arrives. And then as you look around, see again if you can maintain some kind of embodied awareness. So that we bring with us up for our practice a sense of emotional recognition and self-acknowledgement. So, thank you for your practice.